to day sixty of Shape by the Word. I'm Paul Kemp here with uh, Cindy Kemp and David Keefe. How are you guys doing? Man, doing pretty good today. Good to be with you. Good yeah. to be reading through the book of Acts. Mm-hmm. In the first few chapters of the book of Acts, we see the church we want to see. Nearly everything is perfect. It's happening beautifully. People are coming to Christ. That seems to be a miracle every moment, and everybody is together. They're of one heart and they're of one mm-hmm. mind. Uh, in the last couple of days, we've seen the fractures of the church, uh, both through the hypocrisy of Ananias and Sapphira, mm-hmm. and of course through the grumbling of the Hellenistic Jews, mm-hmm. and that's solved wonderfully by the apostles as they decide we're not going to be a church, you know, who's uh, either you know a church of good works or a church devoted to the Word. We're going to be a church that does both. Uh, so the Word becomes mm-hmm. central, but it is far more than the only thing they're devoted to. They're devoted to each other in, in love and in supporting uh, those who are deep in need, which has been a theme of Luke all the way through his gospel and will be a theme all the way through Book of Acts. So as part of the solution, seven men are chosen, and we get a brief, brief biography of one of those men, mm-hmm. Stephen, uh, who was a powerful in word indeed. So he's brought before the Sanhedrin, and here we hear his defense in chapter 7. But before we uh, continue in chapter 7, let's do as we always do, offer ourselves and offer this moment uh, to the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and your goodness. We thank you for the church and everything that uh, you desire her to be in spite of her brokenness and her imperfections. Mm -hmm. We pray, Father, that you would work in us uh, to be faithful and everything we do to be a reflection of who you are. And may the body that we are a part of and your body as a whole be a reflection of your heart and your character and your witness in this world. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. We come out of uh, chapter 6 with these words. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And then we come to chapter 7, verse 1. Then the high priest asked Stephen, are these charges true? To this he replied, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land that I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Iran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you now live. He gave him no inheritance here, not even enough ground to set his foot on. God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at the time Abraham had no child. God spoke to him in this way, for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they'll be enslaved and mistreated. But I'll punish the nation they serve as slaves, God said, and afterward they will come out of that country and worship me in this place. Then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision. Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him eight days after his birth. Later, Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob became the father of the twelve patriarchs. Because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him from all of his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom, enabled him to gain goodwill of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So Pharaoh made him ruler over Egypt and all of his palace. Then a famine struck all of Egypt and Canaan, bringing great suffering, and our ancestors could not find food. When Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our forefathers on their first visit. 
On their second visit, Joseph told his brothers who he was, and Pharaoh learned about Joseph's family. After this, Joseph sent for his father Jacob and his whole family, 75 in all. Then Jacob went down to Egypt, where he and our ancestors died. Their bodies were brought back to Shechem and placed in the tomb that Abraham had bought from the sons of Hamar at Shechem for a certain sum of money. At the time, as the time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of people in Egypt had greatly increased. Then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. He dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our ancestors by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies so that they would die. The time Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. After three months, he was cared for by his family. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. So one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. The next day, Moses came up upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, you are brothers. Why would you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. Unfortunately, our reading has broken up a wonderful uh, rehearsal of the story of Israel uh, from Stephen. Mm -hmm. And it is amazing what he does. The very fact that he is able to do this, you know, as he's called upon the Sanhedrin, he's not just throwing a few Bible verses out, but he's giving the grand narrative of Scripture. Mm -hmm. And we talk about that often. Biblical theology is not only understanding, you know, individual principles in Scripture, but understanding the story of Scripture and where we fit in the story. Stephen is doing a wonderful job of this. So if you'd like, you know, the cliff notes to the history of Israel or the cliff notes to the Old Testament. There you go. You just come back, you know, to Stephen's Mm -hmm. speech and you begin to get the narrative and you begin to get the story, although he's Mm -hmm. he's cut short. Uh, We'll see that tomorrow. I imagine, you know, he's getting deeper and deeper glares. He said, okay, I'm going to have to hurry if I'm going to finish this story. Almost there. Uh, But, uh, you know, we find him rehearsing the promises made to Abraham. And, of course, we take him, you know, to the place where Moses takes upon himself to lead the people of Israel, but it falls flat on its its face. Mm-hmm. And so he goes to Midian, where he's just happy to spend the rest of his days watching over you know, a few sheep. And of course, tomorrow we'll pick up a place where God confronts him, restores him, mm-hmm. and uses him uh, to deliver Israel. So what are some of the things you know that stand out in this passage is uh, we rehearse you know, the first part of the story. Uh, from yeah. Abraham to Moses' failure. Well, he was, I wouldn't say he was seized because they said he was blasphemous against Moses and against God. And so then he starts the story. But just as I read through, I mean, I was reading through that, it just seemed like he kind of elevated Moses because he even to- said in verse 29 that as Moses was born, he was no ordinary child. And so it just really felt like he made much of of moses and just uh, god's plan for his life that's actually the plot of the story Mm -hmm. it is not you know 
I'm not the one who has diminished Moses, and I'm mm-hmm. not the one who has diminished Abraham, and I'm not the one who has diminished you know our people. Mm-hmm. You have because you failed to realize what God was doing as He prepared us, you know, for the coming, you know, the coming of the Messiah. So He turns you know this whole thing on Him. He said, "You are the, you're the ones that never listened to Moses. Mm-hmm. You know, you are the ones uh, who are not you know seeing the fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham." No, and one commentator even said that, you know, in, in 611, where he's accused of speaking these blasphemous words against Moses as he kind of moves through these four figures of, you know, Abraham and Joseph and Moses and David that we'll see tomorrow, mm-hmm. um, that actually he spends the most time on Moses, mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting mm-hmm. to think about as he kind of defends himself. But I mean, for me, as I look at this, you know, I, I think I often take for granted now having a little bit, and I emphasize a little bit, of understanding of biblical theology. You know, for most of my life growing up, I, I, I definitely felt like the Bible was very kind of disconnected, and, you know, the Old was really separated from the New Testament, and mm-hmm. the New Testament kind of felt like a, a relief to kind of get past the Old Testament, and just being uninformed, that actually there's so much reference to the Old in the New, and mm-hmm. So I think for even some of our listeners out there, you know, um, even reading maybe chapter seven for the first time could be one of those times where you're like, oh, wow, like I didn't really understand that, you know, God was deeply involved in, in all of this leading, obviously, to Christ. And so just seeing how these men were used to lead to Jesus is, is something that may be new for a lot of our listeners. And of course, this is something, you know, that Luke introduced us to in his gospel in chapter 24. Uh, when he speaks, you know, to all of the, you know the apostles who are gathered in the room, and to the two, you know, disciples on the road that are walking away from Jerusalem, uh, where you know he opens their minds so that they can understand the scripture. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, mm-hmm. he spoke of how these things, you know, spoke of him. And that's exactly what uh, we find Stephen doing uh, in in this. We won't realize it, you know, that he's speaking of Jesus till we get to the dramatic, you know, climax. You know of this, but every one of these steps are carefully laying the foundation for the salvation you know mm-hmm. we receive in, in in the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. I love his description of Abraham, uh, you know, who even uh, for all of his sojourn, uh, you know, he was childless when God made his promise, and even when he walked off the scene, he didn't have enough real estate to place his foot down on Mm -hmm. and yet you know god is fulfilling his promises you know to abraham Mm -hmm. in a remarkable way and he's able to say you know uh the land in which you're now living Mm -hmm. which is puts it in beautiful context i love getting to see just god's involvement with each stage you know of redemptive history how he is with them he he, he's appearing he's, he's speaking he's sending you know he's promising punishing and even rescuing his people so god is so near to his people through all of these you know years and years and years that stephen has kind of captured here in this speech and so love just getting that reminder um that even when it goes really south even after joseph is so good with the with pharaoh then it goes so south Mm -hmm. and he's not in good standing with the next one that god is still there working out his plan perfectly and he reminds them of that, you know, by pointing back to the promise of Abraham, because he mm-hmm. said to Abraham, That's be 400 years. Yeah. yeah, that for 400 years your people will be mistreated." Uh, and so we we see, you know, what we you know we see the sovereignty of God at at work, you know, carefully laying the stages. Even those those stages seem a little bit awkward to us at times. We still see God's hand at work in a remarkable way, which you know kind of reminds us mm-hmm. when 
we feel a little bit awkward without God as guiding us, that God always knows what he's doing. And a lot of us have had a hard time, you know, accepting that, you know, with the, mm-hmm. the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, you know, and we often remind, you know, the congregation or, you know, our church family. I don't know where I got the word <laughs> congregation. But anyway, so we often, yeah, we often, mm-hmm. you know, remind our church family that God created us mm-hmm. with this moment in mind so that we could be his church in this moment and other people could see his grace and glory and, and us in spite of our fiery tweets that we shoot back and forth <laughs> to each other. Mm-hmm. And they'll be kind of careful in this just because it moves be to the very, Moses very section. Careful. Be very we careful. We know he has just murdered someone, but I, I do see a glimpse of Jesus even still in this little scene where Stephen is describing Moses in verse 25 that Moses, though, Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was yeah. using him mm-hmm. to rescue them but they did not. And again, the same is true of Christ, right? That he was right there, right before them, and yet so many missed it. And and he's going to bring that up tomorrow. He's going to go back to that. Uh, This is the same guy they said who appointed you as judge and and ruler uh, over over us. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, one of the things that you get there is you get a picture of Moses perhaps realizing, you know, God's call on his life to lead his people, but you see him doing it in the flesh, and you see it falling short uh, for 40 years. He's going to be humbled in the wilderness mm-hmm. to, a, to a point, you know, where Scripture, you know, will say that uh, Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. You don't see him as being the way Stephen describes him. He is powerful in word and speech. You see him <clears throat> as being very timid and saying, I can't speak. I don't, mm-hmm. don't want to speak. And so God has, you know, humbled him. And after God has humbled him, he can use him, which is a you know, beautiful picture of God's grace you know, to us. And I just marvel at Stephen. Um, I mean, especially when they said that his face was like that of an angel. But just the fact that I'm sure he understands that he's beginning, he's, he's about to suffer. But yet he could have enough love for the gospel, enough love for Christ, enough love for the Lord. And then these people to share, you know, lay that lay that all out for them one more time, you know, and it just builds. We'll see it building tomorrow, but it's it's so cool that he even even as he's about to suffer is continuing to still point to the cross. So and, and of course this is a fulfillment, you know, of Luke twenty one that you'll become before kings and authorities. Yeah. And don't worry about what you say, but I will give you mm-hmm. words and wisdom, you know, that they cannot you know, that they cannot prevail against. Yeah. And you see that happening, you know, here with Stephen as well, as mm-hmm. with Peter, yep. you know, earlier in this week. Yeah. So it is a rich rehearsal of, you know, what God is doing in and through his people, as he had predicted through Jesus, who, as we'll see tomorrow, is the great prophet mm-hmm. that Moses predicted. Yeah. So, David, do you mind closing us with a word prayer? No, let's pray. Father, we thank you um, for your continued faithfulness to us and what a beautiful reminder that Stephen gives us as we look to hear to this passage here in Acts as we are reminded of your faithfulness your nearness your redemptive plan for your people throughout the ages and how you have worked it out perfectly Um, and so father may we rest assured that you have all things under control may we rest assured that all of scripture is pointing us to Jesus and may we see that and marvel at that and may we remind it as well that um, all that has taken place beforehand, um, we have faithful 
brothers just like Stephen who have stood in the face of difficult times and have stood for Christ. And so may we do the same. Uh, Father, help us to stand for Christ here and now in this day and age as well. And Father, we love you. We pray this all in the great name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.